Then, with the thrill of memory, she saw again, after all those years, the bright Narnian stars. She had once known them better than the stars of our own world, because as a queen in Narnia, she had gone to bed much later than as a child in England. And there they were, at least three of the summer constellations could be seen from where she lay. The ship, the hammer, and the leopard. Dear old leopard, she murmured happily to herself. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Kel. I'm Chase. And thank you for joining us after our, uh, you know, couple-week hiatus. I will take the blame for that. Life is busy, guys. Uh, That's the thing. But, you know, just a reminder, because it's been a while, uh, that today we are talking about the fourth book in the series, Prince Caspian. But general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up, that we're probably going to go on tangents into other stories and, you know, parts of life that we enjoy. So we'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too far out there. But today we are discussing Chapter 9 of Prince Caspian, What Lucy Saw. Chase, what'd she see? It's hard to say. It's really hard to say. She's, hard to say. she's not sure. No one else is sure. It's uh well do do we believe women in, in this book? C.S. Lewis we'll barely does. So C.S. Lewis, radical feminist, uh feminist icon, C.S. Lewis. Mm. But uh yeah, I'll give us a quick summary. So uh if you remember months ago, last time we were in this book. Months ago. Uh no, it was probably like two weeks ago. Who knows? Don't worry about it. It was a while. Uh, but they were in a boat going from an island trying to get to Prince Caspian or King Caspian. And uh, so everyone in the boat, bitterly tired from the boat ride to Glasswater. And as their spirits fell, they began to think of what they'd actually do when they finally got to Caspian. And how an army of children and dwarves could possibly defeat an army of grown-up humans. They rode up the Glasswater Creek and finally went ashore and just, just went to sleep. Uh, and everyone fell asleep quickly except for Lucy, who was less tired and stared up at the Narnian stars, remembering what it was like to be an adult. Uh, as the night went on and the moon got brighter on the water, she only got more awake instead of more tired. And she began to feel as though the whole forest was coming awake just like herself. She got up and began to walk a distance from her party in the cool, fresh air, and she listened to the song of the nightingale and wished for the days that the trees could talk and take human forms. She called to them and only heard the rustling of leaves, although she felt as though she would hear them talk at any moment. She suddenly began to feel tired and rejoined the others to sleep. They awoke in the morning to a breakfast of, surprise, apples! And then talked about how to get to the stone table in King Caspian, uh, and only included a little bit of sexism in there, just some light sexism. Uh, they hiked through the woods, and then after a while, they realized they're being followed. Trumpkin and Susan loaded their bows, and then suddenly something lurched out at them. Arrows flashed, and the gray bear lay dead on the ground. Susan was slower to shoot than Trumpkin, thinking it might be a talking bear, and he said, He saw its face, heard its snarl. It wasn't. He told them most of the beasts have gone enemy and gone dumb, although there were some of their kind left. 
the boys and Trumpkin stop to skin the bear, and then Lucy and Susie go off to have a really weird existential conversation about what would happen if humans lost their consciousness and like the talking animals who had been treated badly. They rejoined the boys and carried the best meat with them, pretending they had never had that conversation. And the sun began to rise as they began to feel a little bit better. And they continued uh, their journey to the, uh, yeah, they continued. And the boys were confused why they hadn't come to the river yet. They're kind of lost in the woods, just like I'm kind of lost in this paragraph. Uh, suddenly they came to a cliffside with a rushing river down below. Peter apologized saying, I've never seen this place before. And then the siblings bicker a little bit before Trumpkin speaks up and like, look, y'all haven't been here in like hundreds, maybe even a thousand years. Stuff has probably changed a little bit. This creek might be the place you were looking for. It's just kind of carved down a little bit. And they realized Trumpkin was being logical enough and they could follow it down to the Great River either way because water flows downhill, fun fact. And uh, then suddenly Lucy shouted out that she saw a lion. Aslan himself. The others hadn't seen him, but Lucy insisted she had and she wanted to follow him. They took a vote and Trumpkin and Susan wanted to follow the river down, not fully believing Lucy, kind of tired, kind of bitter. Edmund said the last time they didn't believe Lucy, he accidentally joined a fascist dictatorship. See the line, the witch in the wardrobe. Uh, so he believed her. And then Peter also voted not to listen to Lucy because why not? Uh, so they don't listen to her, and she cries as they all hike down into the gorge. And that's this chapter. Don't you hate it when you don't listen to your sibling, and then you join a fascist regime? It, Man, it happens more often than you'd think. <laughs> it's a real bummer. It's only ever to me times, but man. It as, as we get ready for Thanksgiving, what could be more relevant? <laughs> Time to accidentally join some fascist regimes? I, I mean, look. I've read, I haven't read the Facebook papers, but I've heard of them. Hmm. You mean meta? Oh yeah, I haven't I haven't gone meta yet. We haven't we haven't been on pod for a while, so we've got a lot of pop culture to catch up on. Uh, <laughs> there has been a lot happening. But uh, Chase, you know when when we when we last were here, the 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 children are are rowing through this little creek and they're going through this little river. And I like how it says like everyone's exhausted because uh, they're rowing a lot. And, you know, Trump can't like, it's like Lu Lucy, she's exhausted. Cause look at her. She's just been sitting in the sun yeah. all day. Look, <laughs> it's like, it is a lot of work to just be outside, but uh, that is not the same. <laughs> was, that was, it was a rough look for Lucy. And then Trump it was like, yeah, and he's got a steer, and poor Trumpkin, he's just sitting on a on a bench made for men, and his poor little legs are just flapping in the wind because they can't reach the the bottom, and you know that's exhausting. You know how uncomfortable that is. This guy over here has abs of steel at this point. It's crazy, dude. Trumpkin is yoked. Let's be real. Uh, yeah, and he is Peter Dinklage. So he is he is our yoked little agnostic. It's great, uh, but says you know. Uh, up to now, like, this is the point where I'm like, how did, how is this, like, I'm glad that they're finally coming to this realization that we came to, you know, uh, like a while ago, because uh, they go, up till now, the children had only been thinking of how they were going to get to Caspian. Now they wondered what they would do when they found him and how a handful of dwarfs and woodland creatures could defeat an army of grown-up humans. I love that line. 
because it just makes me think of like a bunch of squirrels, which is more or less what they're doing or what they've got with Reaper Cheap and fam. I mean, look, don't don't insult Reaper Cheap, but also Reaper Cheap is the OG. They're definitely right. <laughs> they would have completely died if it wasn't for the movements of the rest of this book. Like, right? It's uh. That they were gonna lose for sure. It is really funny that they don't ever stop to consider whether or not their blind confidence is founded on literally a single one thing. Sure. But you know, that uh, isn't that just the fun of being a young person? Yeah, you know, another one of the fun things of being a young person, Chase, looking forward to a beautiful breakfast and great meals. Unless it's another stinking meal of apples. Good Lord. I mean, they're so ungrateful for the pre-prepared, completely edible sustenance that they have. Here's the thing. In the middle of the woods where they would not survive without these apples. Here's the thing. I feel like they're complaining too much about having to eat the same food item in a row. They have not been here that long. It's been, what, two days? Like three max. It's like so you're you're talking like six or seven meals of apples. Like But sure, you'd be a little hungry at that point, but you'd, like you'd be annoyed. But like this isn't you're not sitting on like like castaway eating the same meal for like four years. Like yeah. grow up. And you it, know what, Cal, all those apples, not a doctor in sight. Not a doctor in sight, because you know why? He's been kept away yeah. by and 800 also, apples a day. Also, he probably can't get through the, the multiverse in his, in his blue box. Like, he, he probably can't get into Narnia. Only I mean, now that Doctor Strange has opened up the portal and everything, that may... Doctors. That, you know, it may have, you know, made things a little different. Yeah, but... Yeah. It's, it's uh, less timey-wimey. A little timey wimey, but uh, you know they decide to you know unhappily and ungratefully eat these apples that somehow they're just carrying around like a video game storage unit uh, where you know somehow you can just carry eight hundred items on your being uh, without any consequences. Um, well, th- this is the book where where the girl carries around the like infinite pouch, right? That's this one. I believe that's Harry Potter. Oh right, 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 right. And also Harry Potter. Yeah, that's definitely Hermione's first. But uh, so after eating their miserable supper of apples, they decide to go to bed and everyone's exhausted because three of them have been rowing all day. One of them has been dangling his legs on a bench and the other is Lucy. And Lucy, Chase, just can't fall asleep. I'm just not tired. Can you believe it? Just like, I want to be tired, but I'm just not. Uh, I have literally only sat today. It's it's just been sitting. Just sitting. Lovely boat yeah. ride. But to be fair, she's got a great tan now. That's true. I mean, it's probably a farmer's tan, but it's still a tan. Well, actually, for the British, know, what else can you ask for? I was like, considering they are British, it's probably a sunburn. Like, yeah, it's probably pretty really bad, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen the royal family. They're they're not known for. Uh, for, for not being pasty. I mean, pretty much all British people have the complexion of Conan O'Brien, so it's uh, it's this is really a bad call for them to even just go outside. 
Maybe they should have brought a parasol. But um, but they go to sleep, and Lucy, because she can't, she's just looking up. And there's a really sweet passage. This is the one that we opened the the the, the, the pod with. Was this quote where she's just looking up through the through the trees, and she's looking at the stars, and she's starting to remember all the different constellations that you know she remembered when she was a a grown up. Uh, I loved one of the things that you like. I think accidentally said uh when you were doing your summary or something where it's like you it's this really funny thing where it's like generally when we're nostalgic it's like oh remember when i was young and now it's like lucy's like ah oh, remember when i was old yeah it's uh <laughs> it's like those children who you think like i think there's an old victorian woman inside this child <laughs> This Something a little off with him. 70 years old. For Lucy, it's actually true. And been around for a long time. Yeah. I mean, at this point, thousands of years old. Thousands yeah. of years old slash 40 years old. Yeah. She's either five or 40 or 5,000. One or the other. Mm, deep. But, yeah. She's, uh, you know, she used to get to go to bed later. So she had time to look at the stars, I guess. A lot of time to look at the stars when you can do whatever you want. Because you don't have a bedtime as a queen. Yeah, yeah. When you're in charge of a nation and, and whether or not people starve or go to war or or yeah. get to, like have freedom, that's uh it's a choice. Yep. But she's just chilling, looking at the stars and reminiscing and you know, being 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 all uh nostalgic here and uh she she's trying to get drowsier, but instead she just gets more and more awake and then it's almost like there's this moment where it says, hardly knowing why she did it, she got up quickly and walked a little distant away from their bivouac. I have no clue. Never heard that word before in my life. It's that's funny. why. That's why I said party in the uh, in, in the summary. Like I don't think this is a word. A, I don't know what a bivouac is. B i v o yeah. A c. Technically, I could look this up. And, you know, maybe a good podcaster would research this. But I've never claimed to be a good podcaster, Chase. I mean, we could just break it down. It's it's by, vu, ac. So, like, it's like two, vu in French is y'all. And then ac is, like, air conditioning. So maybe they have, like, a nice tent, like an air conditioning. Do y'all need to get the ac, is what they're saying. two-person tent, though. So, like, she couldn't fit inside because there was, like, ten of them. Totally. But she she's there's a you'll see this here and in the next chapter, whereas this idea of like of Lucy having almost like a particular call, right, where she is being led to something special and different in particular. Um, and like it, it's, you know, there's I think there's a lot to be said here regarding, you know, how how like Aslan slash Jesus you know, speaks to creation kind of thing. Yeah. And it's also like, I don't know, I'll read like one or two sentences from this, but it says a, a great longing for the old days when the trees could talk and Narnia came over her. She knew exactly how each of these trees would talk. If only she could wake them, what sort of human form it would put on. And, and it goes on and on of her saying, Oh, trees, 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 said Lucy, although she had not been intending to speak mm-hmm. at all. Oh, trees, wake, wake, wake. Don't you remember it? Don't you remember me? Dryads and 
hemadryads, come out, come to me. And, and she's kind of wandering through the woods, just looking around and having this like very, like both nostalgic, but also like, th- I don't know, this part of the chapter was like distinctly sad to me. Yeah. Like it was both like beautiful, but also like it had like this ring of grief of like, she's experiencing the loss of what was. Yeah, it's like listening to a 10-minute version of All Too Well uh, released by Taylor Swift, where you're like, wow, this is so nostalgic. It, re- it brings me back, you know, 12 years to, you know, this relationship that I had with Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Uh, and or so some other person. You're just the internet screaming at Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> this has been a rough time to be Jake Gyllenhaal. Let's just call it what it is. I mean, uh, it's always been a rough time to be Jake Gyllenhaal. Would you say that, it, that it's sad, beautiful, tragic? I, I think I could say that. I think I could say that, Cal. I'm just going to see how many times I can weave in a Taylor Swift song, particularly from the Red album, uh, into this podcast. I mean, you should have just seen Trumpkin and said, I knew you were trouble when you walked in. I knew you were Trumpkin when you I walked knew in. Trumpkin when- <laughs> it, uh-huh. It's, you know, in the next chapter, they're going to go down a real treacherous. Uh, path uh and it's gonna be you know they're gonna have to come back and be here <laughs> i'm just going too far cal i'm going too far but to your point we're you know, losing it, listeners it, by the ones <laughs> <laughs> no we we lost one listener and that's like 80 percent of our viewership don't do the math on that uh but i mean if you count us as a percentage of our listenership then yeah well don't worry about it it's fine uh but don't look at the numbers it's, it's that's okay. also chase that's assuming that we listen to our own podcast come on man i mean maybe just... one out of every four <laughs> really depends on the kind of day i'm having just do i like do i like to hear myself talk the answer yes i do uh, i but... i do legitimately laugh when i go back and listen to the podcast Sometimes I go, man, that was a really funny section we just had. Or even better, you will say something while I'm listening back. And then I think in my mind, like a joke in response. And then I say on the podcast, the exact same joke. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm on this podcast. (laughs) This is me. (laughs) Classic. But, you know, before we detoured, uh, to your point, you know, the reason I detoured like that it is this idea of like, there's this, like when we look back on, on things, like there is a sad, like happiness, you know, it's, it's real, it's real inside out feeling here where you're like, how, how the like sadness and happiness blend together. Cause someone would say that those are opposites, but it's this idea of nostalgia where it's like, oh man, like that was so sweet, but that makes me sad. And like, I miss that. It's actually really it's cool that he includes that kind of emotion in the children's book. Absolutely. That's a very complicated, complex emotion for kids who usually like the idea that sad and happy are just opposite ends and opposed to one. I mean, this is the lesson of inside out. Right. Uh, But like that idea is very like, like, kind of your most basic childish version of emotions, whereas you get older and you have loss and, and real tragedy in your life, but you still have the good things that are mixed up in, in that it's uh it does get more complicated. And 
to put that experience on like a seven-year-old is uh yeah. is it's cool. kind of funny and also kind of cool yeah i i said this off podcast but these are like especially in this book i think these are by far the like this chapter and the next are by far my favorite written chapters that he's done in this book so far and some of my favorites that he's done in general not necessarily because of what happens because not a lot does but because there's just a lot of really pretty words and how he structures things and, yeah. and ideas and, and it's hard to capture on a, in a podcast form the like description that he gives to it because this whole scene is kind of washed over with moonlight and shadows and and changing light and ability to see and and things that you think you see but aren't actually there because you're remembering and and it's all like this really cool imagery that's all mixed together in these emotions absolutely and like immediately following you know her little like wake trees wake up trees kind of you know little monologue there's this really cool moment where i'm really glad that c.s lewis doesn't have the trees wake up where it's like she it says lucy felt that at any moment she would begin to understand what the trees were trying to say but the moment didn't come the rustling died away the nightingale resumed its song even in the moonlight the wood looked more ordinary again yet lucy had the feeling as you sometimes have when you're trying to remember a name or a date and almost get it but it vanishes before you really do that she had just missed something as if she had spoken to the trees a split second too soon or a split second too late or used all the right words except one or put in one word that was just wrong. Like, I like that he doesn't give the easy, like, yes, like Lucy said, wake up and all the trees woke up. But it's like, no, things don't work out like that sometimes. You know, you can't just get everything. And that's just some of C.S. Lewis's best writing too. Yeah, it's so good. So it's like, I like that. that's why I said, like, I, I just really love the writing in yeah. this chapter so much. Uh, and, and it's just really, it's just beautiful. Yeah. But you know the best way to immediately follow something beautiful and sweet and nostalgic? A snarky comment from Trumpkin? Apples. Apples. Hi-ho! And I do like, Chase, do you think, so this is how, you know, she goes back to sleep eventually, and Trumpkin wakes everyone up by going, apples, hi-ho, I must say, you ancient kings and queens don't overfeed your courtiers. Uh do you think that C.S. Lewis included the phrase hi-ho from Trumpkin the Dwarf, knowing that he was going to be referencing a Disney movie that came out not too long or not too uh, much before this? I mean, it's jarring to me to even think that movies existed at the time of this book's writing, but this is I true. think that, that probably is a direct reference. <laughs> to have a dwarf say hi-ho is a... Uh, He's a little on the nose. Yeah, it's a it's a move, but you know what else are like dwarves supposed to say? Like, you know, next thing you know, he's going to be trying to uh, to encase Lucy in a glass box. This is true, or he's going to be battling with an elf about who many people, how many people they can kill, one or the other. I mean, that might just happen in the book. That feels... It could happen in the book. But, uh, so Trumpkin wakes everyone up, and, you know, they're trying to be like, all right, like, Trumpkin's like, all right, which way do we go now? And, uh, hold on, got to sneeze. <laughs> Woo! All right, God bless me. Um, Leaving it in. <laughs> Leaving it in. I thought about <laughs> muting myself, but I was like, nope, 
I can't reach the button fast enough. Honestly, uh, it would be just way too much work for me to go in and actually look for where that spot is in the podcast and cut just, it out. So. Just look for the audio spike real fast, uh, and then you'll know that was the sneeze. But um, yeah, the feature and not a bug. Yeah. Uh, so he says, uh, you know, where do we go? And, and Susan's like, well, I don't know. I've never been here before. And, and, and Peter's like, well, you know, like she, she goes, I, I, you know, didn't think we should have gone in the river the whole time. And Peter was like, shouldn't you have said that then? Like, uh, and then Edmund, sweet Edmund goes, well, don't take any notice where she's always a wet blanket. And so I'm glad that we're returning to our tradition of dunking on Susan because Susan sucks. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, she kind of does, but that's like her, her, her character trait has gone from being like the responsible one to the annoying one to eventually the, you know, the one that just hate, like she just is the worst. Yeah. She's Susan plain and tall, plain and tall. Um, but they talk about how they're like, okay, we've just got to keep going, uh, you know, Northwest. We got to cross the river and eventually we'll get to the forts of Baruna and then we'll get to the stone table. Uh, we just got to keep going this way. Um, and Susan's like, well, you know, I hope you're right. Cause I can't remember at all. And then Edmund to make sure that we, you know, have some, you know, fun, sexist comments, you know, thrown in, you know, some banter, uh, is like, well, that's the worst of girls. They never carry a map in their heads. And then Lucy, thank God for Lucy goes, well, that's because our heads have something inside them, which apparently is not a map, but it's something else. Yeah. This, uh, I mean, it's fun to just imply that women don't know directions and cannot drive. It's uh, it's definitely necessary to the storyline. Yep. Uh, yeah. But at least, like, at least Lucy almost defends feminine, you know, qualities and like is almost a feminist. It's it's hard to parse through whether or not this is sexism that we put on C.S. Lewis or sexism that we put on on the characters. Because it's like, he starts to be like, and Lucy knew better. But also, it's such an unnecessary, <laughs> such an unnecessary part of the book. That's like, okay, why did we need this? Like, why did we need this conversation to happen this way? The reason, the uh, answer is like, we don't, right? We really don't. I mean, it's very much like 1950s, like, well, this is what siblings would bicker about, which probably would be. but. Probably. But especially like Edmund, who is being shown to be the most redemptive character, like it feels out of place for him. Like for sure. But whatevs. So we move on. They make their way through the woods. Uh, C.S. Lewis lets us know that they do not get lost, even though he spends a you know a whole paragraph talking about how easy it would be to get lost, yeah. just to say, hey, they didn't get lost. These uh, ways they could have veered off their trail. Just in case you're wondering. And then they realize that something is following them or, you know, keeping up with them. And, you know, Susan and Trumpkin decide to uh, string their bows uh, and, and make sure that, you know, they're ready to fire an arrow uh, when they can. And so they keep, mo they keep moving on. Uh, and then Lucy, Rawr! there's a giant snarl and roar in the background and then fling! and, uh, you know, apparently there was a giant bear just laying dead. The Trumpkins, you know, with a uh, with Trumpkins arrow in its side. Yeah, but not Susan's. But not Susan's. They let us know that you know the DLF 
beat you in that little shooting match, Sue. Uh, and, and like, here's the thing, Chase. This is a really interesting conversation because it goes, you know, Susan's like, well, I didn't know if it was a, you know, one of our bears, the talking bears, or if it was like a normal bear. And yeah. Trumpkin was like, yep, it was a normal bear. Don't worry. Like, but it, it, he's like, that's the trouble of it. When most of the beasts have gone enemy and gone dumb, but there are still some of the other kind left, you never know. And you daren't wait to see. Yeah. I mean, it's why you always shoot first, ask questions later. That's what I always say. That's what I've always been taught, Chase. Uh, you know, that's a, that's the safest way to ensure that you kill something. Yeah, that's, that is, that is the most sure way to make sure something dies. That's something, someone. That's how it goes. Uh, but they like, don't they just kill people arrows kill people. Hmm. This is a conversation that I don't want to have on this podcast. <laughs> it's, it's a joke that didn't need to be made, but I felt like making anyways. It. It felt necessary. It felt more necessary than, you know, random other comments made in the chapter. So, uh, but it's this, it is this comment where it's like, Trumpkin is way too casual. Because he says, like, he knew, because he could tell, he could see the face, and he heard the snarl. Uh, and he knew that, you know, that bear just wanted to eat the, the girls for breakfast. Yeah, just the girls, though. Not, you know, not the boys. They don't taste any good. But it's like, I, I get it from a protection standpoint sure but also like he's real he's real casual about this yeah and it's it's weird because trumpkin isn't supposed to be like fully our moral ambiguity like that was supposed to be uh nickabrick but he definitely has some of those that side to him and mm -hmm. it's oh it's it's a really interesting conversation when it comes to like, okay, well, like what is this, what is CS Lewis trying to communicate to us through this conversation? Or is it just like, well, this is something that would probably come up. Like, it just feels weighty and like very called out. Yeah. Even to the point where after this bear dies and the boys stopped to skin the bear, Lucy and Susan go off and have like a separate like side commentary, kind of taking it one step above. Mm -hmm. Yes, Lewis literally pulls us out of like the specifics of the storyline to say, and here's your reflection question for how you should interpret this. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he to on that point, he goes, Wouldn't like wouldn't it be dreadful if someday in our own world, the real world at home, men started going wild inside like the animals here and still looked like men? so that you would never know which were which. And I think it's really important that we set some context for this because this is written, you know, a decade after World War II where the Nazis have, you know, like gone and done all these things and, you know, committed horrible, horrible genocides and, uh, you know, atrocities and war crimes. And you also see things like the atomic bomb and uh, like, I, like I, I feel like there's no way to read this in this context and like now you're in the middle of the cold war you know like i don't feel like there's any way to read this without looking at like social commentary that c.s lewis is making of being like hey you know like there are some pretty like beastly quote unquote men uh who it's hard to tell if they're still like even human yeah but what i think is the 
faulty part of that that anthropology. And it might be something for the listener. Anthropology is how you understand human beings. Uh, the thing that C.S. Lewis is kind of implying there is that there are some people who should no longer be considered human and therefore are okay to kill because they no longer hold the same kind of humanity that I hold. And that's the same logic that the Nazis used against Jewish people and the others who they targeted. So to use that going back the other direction, which is one of the big faults of even like the Cold War, like like Red Scare type of posturing, like that's one of the big errors is it's like, well, like it basically assumes that the Nazis were right just towards the wrong people, which is also not the answer. Like right. the answer is no, like you should assume a level of like dignity and humanity and and respect regardless and and fight for that yeah so it all gets complicated for sure so that's why i wonder like going into is anthropology like this question is being proposed by lucy who is our like moral center you know obviously other than aslan but aslan's got his own you know things that we'll discuss next chapter but like I'm wondering if because this is proposed by Lucy, this is almost sure being like, should we be considering like just all beasts beastly? Because like we would we consider or like, should you consider like all humans beastly or like some humans beastly? Like, or should you consider all humans humanely? Uh, Like, that's what I wonder, like, because it's being presented by Lucy, like if she's like, no, like, I don't feel good about that. Like, yeah. And, and I think it's telling that Susan never releases her arrow. Whereas yeah. like Trumpkin, who is the more morally confused one, who doesn't have any awareness of Aslan. The, the ends justify the means. Yeah, it's it's very much like not even a thought in his head, like, oh well, yeah, this is fine as long as it's uh as long as it's in self-protection or whatever, like it it shouldn't matter. Whereas the the girls in this situation have a much more like tuned moral compass of like, well, no, because like those are people too. And yeah. Just is also the funny thing with this book of like, well, animals are people too in this, in this, in this context. context. And then, but only some animals, but also, but also <laughs> it gets, muddled, gets muddled and muddy. It gets muddled and muddy real fast. Uh, and, and Susan knowing that this is muddy is like, she she pulls a real Matthew chapter six here and is like, hey, we've got enough to worry about here in Narnia. Uh, let's not worry about other things in the real world. Uh, yeah. And then they just go straight back in. And yeah. they're like, oh, look, we have some meat now. Yeah, but like, then they're talking about like, you know, raw meat and like, should you eat it? Probably not. But, you know, should you just stuff it in your pockets? Yeah, but like they're wrapped it in leaves, so it's fine. It's gross, but it's also going to be fine. But it's meat. So, you know, just carry around raw meat with you always always a good option it's better than apples uh but so they they make their way and uh they're they they're just keep walking and they're walking and walking and walking this is a good like you know for walking yeah christopher walking uh chapter uh but they're like man shouldn't we have come to the river by now like it feels like it should have been here and this is Again, this is good writing by C.S. Lewis because he's letting you know, like the whole chapter, it's like, man, this feels like something that should have, like we, 
I feel like we were going the right way. And this feels familiar, but we should have come upon something. And then all of a sudden they come to a cliffside where, you know, there's a river way down below. And uh, their first thought is Peter's like, man, I'm so sorry. This is my fault. I've led us in the wrong direction. Um, And, you know, Susan gets snarky and she's like, we should never have done this. And they get in a little, little argument. And then Trumpkin gives us one of his patented, uh, you know, exclamations where he goes tubs and tortoise shells. uh, And he, he lets everyone know that like, Hey, actually, like the like I, we're probably not lost compared to you know what you were assuming because it's been a thousand years or whatever what do rivers do in a thousand years they they carve things out they make valleys they you know they actually aren't they don't just stay in the same spot so this river could probably still your river does it only take a thousand years to create a deep deep canyon i think it probably takes significantly longer uh but you for know, the sake of nardy and logic it's uh it, this isn't the grand canyon this is like a this is a meh canyon i mean Nar- narnia is only six thousand years old so it's uh it's ah, really like young, it, this yeah. makes sense everything moves faster in narnia yeah it's you're a young narnian theory okay i see you uh that makes sense uh, we saw it get created only three we, and a half books ago. We did, but we also don't see, we don't know how long between Magician's Nephew and Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Just Probably. long enough for all the humans to both disappear and then also multiply in a completely different part of the world. That, is, different that is Narnia, but also not Narnia. Yeah, it doesn't count. Don't ask questions. Don't That's ask not for you to know. Want the answers to. I mean, what? Uh, so, it's not your story, Cal. It's not your story. It's not your story. Uh, but he's like, yeah, this is probably the same thing. Like a landslide could have happened or an earthquake or you know, erosion or whatever it might be. And they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and then they decide like, hey, let's just go down the side of the gorge. Like we'll make our way and it'll take us to the Great River anyway. And it'll be fine. Uh, and then Lucy's like, oh, snap. That's him. The lion. Aslan himself. Didn't you see? And everyone's like, no. I do like that he doesn't say, and then Lucy thought she saw a lion. So she yelled out. It's just like Lucy out of nowhere is like, a lion? Yeah. She, like, this is like, it, like, like we said, this is good writing. Yeah. And so they, they begin to have this discussion. And Susan's like, where do you think you saw him? And I love Lucy's line. She's like, don't talk like a grown up. I didn't think I saw him. I saw him. Like, this is a this is a great line from Lucy. Yeah, a good call out. Like they they are all adults in this context, even though yeah. they're not like they're all a thousand and forty years old. Yeah, uh, but they like they're. She's like she's not you know ready to be gaslighted here. She's like no, like I will not have this. Uh, and they're like Edmund's like, hey, where did you see him? And Lucy's like, I, you know, like he's up there. And she's like, well, how do you know? Like he, he just wanted us to go where he was up there. And Edmund's like, how do you know that? And she's like, I just know by his face. And Trumpkin, our agnostic is like, nah, you probably saw a lion who wants to eat you. I'd rather not. Let's go this other direction. And like Lucy's like, don't be stupid. I know what Aslan's like. 
And they have a really interesting conversation here about like the nature of Aslan from the point of view of someone who doesn't believe in him. Yeah, they they are very quick to be like, look, Trumpkin, our our DLF, our dear little friend, he just doesn't get it. He doesn't understand about Aslan. So what are we going to do, people who actually know what's up? Yeah. And then they decide the only way to do this fairly is to have a vote. Yeah, you know how, how monarchies are also democracies? Yeah, the high king really is for democracy. But um, they, you know, they decide to put it to a vote. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in my further up and further in. But you see the, you know, the two people who are really pro going to the gorge <coughs> is, you know, your friendly neighborhood agnostic, Trumpkin, and Susan, who is becoming more or less agnostic herself, where it's like, yeah, you know, like, I like Aslan is whatever. We just, you know, I'd rather I got tired. Like, let's think about things practically. And then you have the two people who are pro Aslan side, Lucy, obviously, and then Edmund, the one who has been redeemed, who has said, you know what? Last time, as you mentioned up front, like as you like last time I didn't listen to Lucy, I ended up following the White Witch and I joined a you know dictatorship. Uh, I don't want to make that mistake again. And when Lucy thinks she's seen Aslan, she's probably the expert in this nature. So I'm going to follow her. Yeah, he knows that she has a connection to this place that's different than the rest of them as the person who discovered it in the first place. Correct. And This is her place. And so they put it to a vote. It's two to two. And they decide to take it to King Peter. And he's like, "Ah, I'd rather not vote because, you know, as a true high king, you know, says like, ah, I'd rather not make decisions. Uh, and then he's like, hey, you've got to be the deciding vote. And he decides to, you know, go down uh, because, you know, it seems like the most logical thing to do. Not that he doesn't believe Lucy, but, you know, it just feels like that's the most reasonable course of action. Yeah. I mean, what my takeaway from this, go. Is that C.S. Lewis thinks we should listen to women, and so my question for you is: Is this a slippery slope into radical feminism? I hope so. I hope so, please. Uh, C.S. Lewis and Beth Moore, both uh, okay. both gonna push us down that slippery slope. Hey, for it. But until they get down to they, they as they make their way down this literal slope. Yeah, yeah, this actual slope next to water, so it might be slippery. Susan and. Edmund and Peter and Trumpkin all make their way. And Lucy takes up the, the back crying as the chapter ends. Yes. It's uh, always, always good to, to end a chapter with tears. That's and how I like the right direction. So it's good. Uh, but because uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and start us off with further up and further in, because it's following right after this. Uh, but my further up and further in uh, deals with the complexities of, uh, like rationale and reason versus faith and belief. Uh, these are two things that are often going to get pitted against each other, not only in the world, but in literature, you know, people are going to say that these two things cannot coexist. Um, and I think that's a, a mistake. And I think it's one thing that CSOS is trying to correct because it's not just 
a, you know, Lucy in looking at her belief, it is not built strictly, like strictly on like, Hey, I have faith that Aslan is up there. It's no, I have seen him, right. I have experienced him. I have a previous, uh, you know, relationship and history with him. This is what, you know, we are to do where as like the, you know, the rational logical mind is saying, well, I cannot see him. I don't have this experience. Therefore, this is not true. Uh, and it will be proven that, you know, Lucy's way is the true way, right? But in essence, even the most rag- rational and reasonable mind is still basing so much on faith. Uh, and just as the person who is faithful is still using reason and rationale. Uh, I don't think it's ever as simple as like you are one or the other. Because the person who is reasonable and rational, yeah, like, is it more rational to go after the lion or to just go down the hill? What we're going to find is down the hill is a lot of danger. And it's a lot of like, you don't know what is down there. And it doesn't actually lead them to where they want to go because they have to turn back around. Uh, Whereas if they had originally gone with Lucy's plan, they would have worked out in the end. And so we're all basing things off of faith and logic. And it's ba- in it's determining like how much of this are you willing to stake your life on? Like how much of you are you willing to you know put your put your actual you know livelihood and welfare on? Yeah. For my further up and further in, uh, wanted to talk about the idea of the loss of magic as a theme in literature, and th- this is something that we've talked about several times throughout the course of the series. Uh, but it is a core theme in fantasy, and so it's something that continues to come up. And I think it's important to continue to call it out as we see it. So Lucy in this chapter kind of wanders among the trees, wishing for the time that she remembers when Narnia was full of magic and life, and the trees were also people and dance and, and all this stuff. And this is something we see in pretty much all fantasy stories the the fact that magic used to be in the world and it's not there anymore but what if it came back um like the first chapter of the harry potter series which shout out to the 20 year anniversary of the movies uh like is so obsessed with normalcy and how privet drive and and uh and harry's family are just like Entrenched in their normal lives, and then what if magic broke into that world? You've got your uh, your Game of Thrones, where like, well, no one's seen dragons in thousands of years, and magic left with the dragons. But like, surprise, there's dragons and also White Walkers, and everyone's gonna die. Like, this is a continual uh, drumbeat throughout these these stories that we love, and it's uh, it really tackles this idea that C.S. Lewis hits really well, that there's a sense in all of us that there's something bigger in the world that's supposed to be there that we can't quite see, that, that we long for, that we want, that we want to be true, but it's just beyond our grasp. It's it's the name that you're trying to remember and it's on the tip of your tongue, but but you can't quite catch it. Um, and so C.S. Lewis really captures that in a really cool way in this and with the the Christian hat on what he's trying to point towards is the idea that all people have an awareness of God and an awareness of spirituality existing in the world 
And even though we can't always see that, that doesn't mean it's not there and not something that we should we should step forward into as Lucy does in this chapter and the next one. Chase? Kel? I know the last time that I didn't listen to you and didn't uh, end up telling our listeners where they can rate and review and find more of our podcasts that I ended up joining a fascist regime, a fascist regime. And I don't want to do that again. Yeah. And so I'm going to take your advice. I'm going to tell our listeners uh, where they can find everything, which is on Spotify, you know, audible, uh, Apple podcasts, really, they can find our podcast anywhere that they find podcasts. And, uh, you know, as long as they rate and review, give us a five-star rating, uh, let us know, you know, how we're doing and you know what they want to hear more of. Uh, and go follow us on Instagram at, at the Chronicles of Podcasts that, you know, hopefully we can avoid making this podcast wait a thousand years again uh, until it turns into another gorge. Uh, but, Chase, hi-ho. Hi-ho. I basically, the, the, the chapter 10, <laughs> it's funny because like I kind of just like highlight little things here and there to like, those are my talking points in the chapter. Basically, the entirety of like when Aslan enters the scene, it's like all highlighted. <laughs> and I was like, dang it, this is all so good. This looks like an eighth grader's Bible. Yeah. Just I mean, more or less. Control. It's just the entire page. I highlighted Romans. Yeah. It's all good, Chase. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was good and also like felt weird. <laughs>